You are listening to episode 338 of the New World Order. Hey everybody, this is Klaatu. I'm your host. In this episode, we're talking about ALSA Utilities. That's the package, ALSA-Utils, Utils, Utils. It is in the AP software series of Slackware. I think this one's going to run a little bit long, because ALSA Utils has, um, well, a bunch of interesting little utilities in it. And um, I do want to make sure that they're all in that, that they're all given context within sort of how sound and MIDI works. This will probably be a long episode, but I do want to just get through the entire package in one go. So let's go for it. You almost certainly have ALSA installed on your Linux computer, no matter what distribution you're using. ALSA is the Advanced Linux Sound Architecture. That's what that stands for. It's the driver system for all manner of audio devices. On your computer. Now, technically speaking, there is an older sound library, OSS. I don't remember what that sounds that that stands for. It's probably Open Sound Server or something like that. I don't know. But generally, it's it's ALSA in the modern day. ALSA, in addition to being a modular set of drivers, it also has a bunch of other features, such as a user space library called ALSA Lib, which helps programmers talk to the devices, the sound devices, which is very handy. It has the OSS support so that ancient, ancient applications that were maybe written before ALSA existed can function within ALSA. It also has things like a MIDI sequencer embedded into it. You would want ALSA no matter what you've got your eyes on in terms of managing your sound on Linux because, like I say, it's it's a set of robust drivers. It's got this library for, for programming interfaces and, and all that stuff. You wouldn't want to give up ALSA. And in fact, newer models of of sound management, such as Pulse Audio, sit on top of ALSA, because it's ALSA that's kind of like receiving all those signals from applications, and and it is ALSA that is aware of the presence of sound devices. Pulse taps into ALSA to listen in on all that activity and then sort of parses it out, and I don't know how it does that because I've never really looked into it. it. I just know whether it works. If I had to guess from the behavior of every of all these components, I would say that also know that Pulse tells Alsa that it is a sound card, and in fact that it is the default sound card, and that Alsa should send everything to it, and then Alsa and then Pulse gets all the Alsa signals and parses them once they once it has it. That that would be my guess, but I, I can't I, I have not confirmed that. That's just how it sort of behaves. But anyway, we're not on Pulse right now, so we'll, we'll just keep going with Alsa first thing in the package is A-Connect. And A-Connect is specifically for MIDI input and output. You can kind of get a window into A-Connect when you run, if you run Jack Audio Control or Patchage or anything that allows you to assign inputs and outputs from a peripheral, like a keyboard, uh, like a musical keyboard, uh, to something internal like a software synth or or a MIDI sequencer or whatever. So A Connect deals with MIDI signals. Now if you don't know what a MIDI signal is, the the, the quickest and, and easiest way to explain it is that it was a special protocol for musical instruments before they were all connected to a centralized computer. People wanted their keyboards to talk to one another or to talk to a dedicated sequencer, which I guess actually is sort of a, a centralized computer. But the idea was that you would plug your keyboard 
your musical keyboard with a MIDI cable on the other side. And a MIDI cable is a multi, it's got a lot of pins. I think it's one, two, three, four, five, six pins, I think, or, or five and a, and a leg, a peg, whatever. And you plug that into this ca that cable from the keyboard, the controlling keyboard, into the thing that is going to manage the signals. Sometimes that's a sequencer, sometimes it's a software synth, sometimes it's a little bit of both, like a sampler that has both sounds and a sequencer in it, like the Emu Emacs uh, 2 or 3, whatever it was that I had on a rack at one point. So, yeah, you plug it into there, and then that that thing, that device would send would would receive just these little pulses these little signals from the over the midi cable and it would know and there 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 were different attributes the, uh, to each signal and so the device that you're sending signals to would know to play a certain sound at with a certain um strength at a certain time and that was how that worked you could also now you could daisy chain midi together so one cable would go to the next and then the next and then the next and you get a bunch of different keyboards or or sound modules sort of all being controlled by this one sequencer or or by one keyboard what whatever whatever the um whatever your setup this is pretty flexible system really now when everything moved into the computer or when many things moved into the computer midi became more of a virtual a virtual protocol rather than a, than a physical cable that would send actual signals. And the way it works now, usually, is, and there are, again, there are exceptions. You could buy an interface that will receive a MIDI cable, in that, that will accept a MIDI cable into it and receive MIDI signals from a, a traditional MIDI keyboard. But these days, what people typically do is plug a USB cable into a MIDI keyboard plug the other end of the USB into their computer, and something in the computer handles this this incoming data and translates it into MIDI, and then something on the computer somewhere needs to deal with that MIDI signal. Like, it has to do the conversion and send the, 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 the appropriate signals to the appropriate other bits of software at the appropriate time. A-Connect is part of that. The only time I've actually used a connect in real life is to get a list of my outputs and inputs. And so that's what I'm going to cover really quick right here. It's a connect dash dash output to see what kind of available MIDI outputs your computer actually possesses. And the uh, a connect dash dash input displays what kind of MIDI inputs it has. Now, in my case, it's practically the same thing. There's a, a MIDI through port as, a, as an output device. And MIDI through ports are, remember I said that different keyboards could be daisy-chained together back in the old days. Uh, the MIDI through port essentially serves, or, or could, could serve that function if you needed to, to route something through your MIDI controller on the computer. You would you could put it through into the through port and then pass it on from the through port somewhere else, because sure enough, if you look at the a connect dash dash input uh, and the output, they both have that MIDI through. So you can you can daisy chain stuff through that as a as a pass through. On the output side, you also have uh, well, I have a USB device 0x2702 0x1110 which is my MIDI Tech keyboard, USB 
uh, MIDI controller, and I happen to have that plugged in right now. So, so I'm seeing it in the list. And so that's what I've used A Connect for, is just to kind of, almost as a, I guess, a D message or a list block, just to ensure that, that the, the device that I have uh, plugged into my computer is being seen by the computer. You can also just do an A Connect dash dash list to see what, what connection status all devices, whether they're input or output, happen to have. Now you can connect devices through this interface as well. It's pretty simple to do once you've done this list, a connect dash list, or input and then output. Uh, and and I guess if you if you're not clear on which is which, then you might want to separate it into input and output. Uh, certainly, for input for for the modern modern computing model sequencing. Generally, I think, and again, this is the, my opinions are based exclusively on the way that I use these things. So it's it's a bit it's a bit silly, probably, for me to say. I, don't don't take the statements that I'm making as actual truths. This is just like my perception based on the the the, the things that I do with this stuff. But I I'm imagining in the modern setups, outputting from the computer to a MIDI device is probably pretty rare it's probably a lot more common to be inputting from a MIDI device into the computer. And that could be completely false. I could, I could be completely wrong about that, and I'm sure there's someone out there using actual hardware synths or, or sound devices of some sort, a sampler or a, a sound module, whatever. I mean, it's a synth without a keyboard. It's, but, yeah, either way. Um, and maybe they're stringing, they're, they're, they sequenced it with their computer and they're outputting the MIDI to their devices and then they're recording the devices through audio cables uh, into some kind of recording device. That's a perfectly valid way to do it and back in the 90s that was the way that you would have done it. You you would have, if, if you had that kind of setup, you wouldn't have your computer making all the sounds and all the effects. You would be piping the sound or the, the sequence of of things that you need to trigger at a certain time, like that bass drum beat. If you need that on every downbeat, then your computer will be sending a pulse to your TB303 or whatever. Probably not your TB303 because that didn't have MIDI, if I'm recalling correctly. Maybe your um, 808, your TR808, not your TB808, the one with MIDI. So you've got your computer sending that signal to that sound thing so that it, it knows that ever, on every downbeat, to, to trigger that bass drum sound. And then you have your MIDI cable from there to another keyboard, from the through to the input of the other keyboard, and you're sending it signals to, to trigger some music at certain points and so on. So, or some notes that create music. So you could do that, but I think typically these days you don't actually do that. You just have everything in the computer, or yeah, you probably have everything in the computer, honestly. So I feel like the output is less used than the input in a way. Um, yeah, that's that's what I think. Um, I don't know why that matters, but anyway. So a connect uh, dash. Well, so a connect dash dash input. Let's let's look. Okay, so I've got client twenty eight is what it says. My MIDI keyboard is client twenty eight. That's a it's a number that has somehow been calculated by by Alsa. I don't know how it assigns the the numbers. Uh, client 14, like I said, that's the MIDI through port. So client 28, I know is my keyboard, and and I wouldn't know that if I had more than one keyboard plugged in. 
but because I only have one USB keyboard plugged in right now, I happen to know that that's the device that I want to assign to something else. Now, it's significant to say that if you're going to plug in many devices into your computer, sometimes it behooves you to get to know some of these strange codes that also sees. So for instance, client 28 is called USB device 0x2702, blah blah blah. Um, that doesn't mean anything to me, and certainly if I plug in my other little portable keyboard over there, which strangely is also only a two-octave keyboard, I gotta get something with more than two octaves. If I plug that one over into my computer, uh, then I'll see another USB device, and if I don't know 0x2702 is like, I guess, the vendor code maybe for MIDI tech, and uh, the Korg keyboard AK25 has some other vendor code, then it's going to be difficult for me to tell those two apart. And this is going to be a common theme with audio and really computers at all, um, but especially Linux, I think, because typically the w the, the the way that you get cool little icons that look exactly like the thing you've just plugged in, you know, that doesn't that doesn't actually happen normally. That's something that an OS gets sent to them, usually, from the manufacturer. And uh, I don't think Linux gets many sort of vendor contributions of 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 human readable names and and really neat icons and so on. So if you're plugging this stuff into Linux then, which I assume you are, um, then you might need to know, you might need to teach yourself what each device looks like to your system. And A-Connect, like I'm saying, that this is why I use it. A-Connect is the way that I do that. I, I know, and sometimes I even just write on a device with a, with a, with a Sharpie marker what it, what it identifies itself as to ALSA or, or whatever I'm using. So, in this case, I've got client 28. Now I can see that here from in, in the A-Connect information that client 14 is the MIDI through port. And for lack of anything better to connect to right now, I'm going to connect to that port through A-Connect. So I know that 28, I want to connect to 14. So I'll just do A-Connect 28 space 14 and hit return. It's completely silent in return, but if I do an A connect, actually I'm going to clear screen, A connect dash dash list again, it shows me that client 14 is connected from 28 colon 0, and then client 28 is connected to 14. So A connect is pretty useful to kind of tell you what's going on behind the scenes a little bit with, with the ALSA MIDI sequencer. And that's about its only job, really. It's pretty focused. There, there are a couple of more options, like, um, we'll certainly disconnect. Uh, there's dash dash exclusive, which makes a connect port, or sets a, a connect port to be exclusive, which forces that port to accept no other connections from any other device. I, I do not personally know the point of that. Um, I've never looked into it, and I've never certainly ever felt the need to have that. Uh, there's dash dash real, which is converting the timestamps of event packets to the current value of the given real-time queue, which I've never really d dealt with that either. And then there's dash dash tick, uh, which is similar, but it, it, it uses the tick queue for timestamps. And again, I've, I've never needed that either. You can also do a dash dash remove all, which removes all exported connections. 
and I don't know how to export a connection, so I don't know how to remove one. And that's pretty much it, I guess. Um, you can supposedly also use the client name, but I've never had a device with a client name. So for instance, you can do uh, a connect external colon zero emu 8000 colon one with emu being a very famous uh, synth and sampler company. I've never had a client that, that, that I've plugged into my workstation and, and, and gotten a real a human readable name. So I, I don't know how that, that happens. At this point, I think I'll skip around a little bit in the package because uh, some of them are going to make more sense if we have a little bit of background information on where where some of the values that it wants to find come from. And so for that one, I'm for for that I'm going to start or I'm going to we're going to take a look at a play. A play is a very useful little application. It's um it's actually two applications. There's a record and a play, but and one play is one records as you can imagine. But I'm going to talk about a play first uh, because it is like a connect. It has a, a lot of use for I guess forensics or, or analysis. So if we do a play dash dash list dash devices or just a play dash l, then you get all the devices, all the sound devices, not MIDI devices, but the audio devices contained within your computer. Now, if you've got a laptop, this might be a very short list. It might be maybe one or two uh, devices for to, to represent the input and the output of your headphone jack. And then, and, and one of those will probably be a sub device because the, physically it's, it's one, it's one set card. Uh, and then you might see uh, the HDMI card as well if you've got HDMI on your laptop. On my my on my desktop that I use that I'm using right now, I see the ALC887-VD device, which is the internal sound card of my of my computer. There's not a really great way to know that other than just to sort of know that you have a sound card in your computer and it's not the HDMI one. And indeed, the next one that I see is HDMI, and then the next one I see after that is Plantronics, which is the USB headset that I use to record these episodes. I use it as my uh, microphone. And hey, there's a human-readable name, by the way. So anyway, when I say the next... I'm saying, oh, the next entry is, but actually there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven entries, and yet I've only actually listed three devices, the sound card, the HDMI card, or the, the HDMI output interface, and the USB headset. So the, the first two are labeled card zero, and there's apparently two subdevices, subdevice zero one and subdevices one slash one. And that's the analog and digital aspect of my of my sound card. For the NVIDIA HDA NVIDIA HDMI cable there or uh, interface, there's zero, one, two, and three, and they're all labeled card one. And again, there's um, they're kind of interesting because they actually show they're they're numbered the device three, seven, eight, and nine, but they are they are um, they they show up as subdevice one of one. So somehow they're each getting their own subdevice designation, but they each get listed separately. Don't know how that works, but there you go. There it is. 
And then card two is the Plantronics device, the headset. So that's one, two, three cards, zero, one, and two, across seven potential interfaces or, or seven interaction points, points of interaction. It can be a little bit confusing, and that's why when I get a new computer, one of the first things I do for myself is I look at the output of a play dash dash list dash devices, because that just helps me kind of understand, especially in the in laptops, what I'm really dealing with here. Because I I happen to have my work laptop right here, uh, and if I if I look at it, if I look at a play dash dash list devices. Probably gonna tell me that no, okay, good. Um, yeah, I've got zero, so I've got a bunch of zeros, card zeros, and yet again, one, two, three, four, five, six different sort of uh, entries, and one of those entries is the Intel sound card, analog sound card, and then there's one, two, three, four, five HDMI um, entries, and that's kind of crazy. Now, if I do a record dash dash list devices, I get a different list of of things, and uh, because nothing's nothing's plugged into this computer right now, so the the a record list whittles all that down to just one entry, which is the sound card and analog input. And you might wonder what that is, because I just said I had nothing connected to this work laptop, and what it is is actually the microphone on the webcam. So on laptops, it's very common to see at least one input, even if you're thinking, well, I don't have anything plugged into this thing, so what? what's the input? Or maybe you don't think about it that hard. But if you do, that's it. That's the microphone. Now if I do a record dash dash list dash devices over here on my workstation, um, I get still still less than I got for my output. But I've got the um, the sound card. I've got the an alternate input for my sound card, and then I've got my Plantronics device, and so that's card zero, zero, and card two. No input on the card one, the HDMI um, interface. And so what those are seeing, it's the um, front mic, or the front, uh, yeah, the front mic and the back mic, I guess is what Pulse calls it. So the the front mic being on my on my tower, there's a port for for a microphone input on the top of the computer and there's a port on the back of the computer so that would be the two separate things that it's referring to I, I imagine um, and then the Plantronics device is obviously the USB headset that I'm talking into right now so this is an important and really small and easy trick to use if you're confused about the the sound devices on your computer if you don't understand why you keep uh, why your computer keeps defaulting uh, to the built-in mic instead of the thing that you've plugged in and in your mind it should always default to that other thing well the computer doesn't obviously really know that and it has a certain set of defaults that it's going to follow whatever those defaults may be it might be just the lowest number of of card device in the also list who knows if you're trying to figure that stuff out i find it helpful to get a, a picture a little bit of a view over what your computer thinks your sound setup looks like because no matter what you think it looks like, the computer's view is a lot more accurate for the computer. That's what it's going off of. The other use case for a play and a record is exactly what they sound like they would be, which is to play and record through the ALSA system. Now, since ALSA, as I've said, drives most of your audio, that's kind of the obvious way to do it. 
may or may not be the, the correct way, quote-unquote correct. If you're using Pulse, technically speaking, you should be submitting everything to Pulse. But maybe the point here is that you're taking Pulse out of the, the, the loop. So you can play a, a sound with a play if you want to test, I don't know, a speaker or something. If I recall correctly, they support wave files, and that's it, just wave. So if I do a play and then give it a path to this sound effect here from freesound.org, uh, in theory it would play that through whatever default speaker is available to it. In this case, it doesn't do that for several reasons, but the primarily the, the primary reason is because Pulse is running. So Pulse, as far as I know, sort of presents itself as the as the overlord of, of Alsa, and it therefore occupies Alsa rather greedily, so that things can't just submit jobs to Alsa. I guess is how I think of it. Again, I'm I'm not super clear on the the technical aspect of like the the code the underlying code I don't know a whole lot about I'm I'm mostly reverse engineering what I know about Alsa and Pulse so if I do a play and and then some sound effect it, it just tells me the resource isn't available now if I go out to the terminal I'm I'm not going to do this because I'm recording right now but if I did I, I would go out to the uh, the terminal and I would say sudo slash no, sudo sh slash etsy slash rc dot delta rc dot pulse audio, and then I would type in stop, and I would hit return, which I'm not going to do, uh, and then that would stop pulse audio. Now, I know technically I could use PA suspender to suspend pulse audio. I don't know for sure that that would work. Um, so I would just stop it, and then do a play, path to the wave file that I want to play, and that would produce sound. Same goes for a record. I could do an a record, and then I would I would need to tell it where to get that input from. And remember, you would you would know that from a record dash l or dash dash list dash devices, and you 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 could set you could tell it what what card to use, or even by device name. So, for instance, um, a record dash capital D for device. Oh no! Actually, that wouldn't work. Sorry. There's another. So a record, um, a record, or a a play for that matter. Dash dash list dash PCM. That gives you uh, the device numbers and names that you need for uh, for to to direct also uh, play or record to a specific device. So I could do a record again. In theory, I, I can't because I'm actually recording right now. But dash capital D for device. And then uh, IEC958, and I know that because I just did the list PCM, and it tells me that IEC958 is the designated name of the Plantronics.audio626DSP USB audio microphone that I'm using. And then I think I need to give it a yeah a file name, so file dot wave. And and then if I press return, it would again in theory it would record from that device for as long as I told it to record. I've used that a couple of times. I don't remember why I would have needed that, but I, I do recall using that uh, a while, like a long time ago. Um, but it's, it's not so useful anymore, really, with, with Pulse kind of governing over assigning permission and, and making things play nicely together. That would be, it would be kind of silly to, to try to do all that stuff with Alsa these days. 
which honestly, a lot of these utils are kind of, you could say that of, of many of them, honestly, because um, there are just better ways to do most of this. However, the big exception to that for me is the, the list capability for A connect, A play, and A uh, record. And that's what we've covered so far. So let's take a coffee break. We'll see what else we can cover. And then that'll be the show. MIDI and a record MIDI. Those, as you can imagine, do basically not the same thing, but they, their, their governing, their overall purpose is pretty similar to a play and a record. A play MIDI causes a MIDI file to play, meaning that your computer starts sending out MIDI signals to all to any any MIDI device listening, and a record listens for incoming MIDI signals and records them. This is something that I can't imagine doing manually. I'm sure that some people, this makes the most sense to them. This is probably, for a lot of people, this this is the smart way to record MIDI input or something. For me, not interested. I've never used this command. Luckily, they're pretty simple. A play MIDI dash dash list lists the possible output ports. So that's a lot like uh, a a connect dash dash list all I think, uh, and then there's the dash p or dash dash p sets the sequencer port to which events MIDI events are sent. So you're directing those MIDI signals to some device that you know exists on your on your system, which would would be why you did the dash dash list. So you would find the device that you want to, to target, and then you would play the MIDI file. That means if you have a MIDI file. You can cause it to play by doing an A play MIDI and then dash dash port equals and you tell it which device you want to target, which would be a soft synth probably, and uh, that is connected to your your MIDI through A connect and and press return. Oh, and give it the file, the name of a MIDI file, and then press return and it will play. It would play that MIDI file over that soft synth. There are many soft synths out there. Out there, the the thing about MIDI generally is that the the recipient needs to needs to know needs to have access to sounds that make sense for that for that file and that can get a little bit tricky there was something uh developed a long time ago back in the 80s i think called general midi and it looked at sort of all channels of midi like 128 of them and said let's construct sort of a reasonably generic patch bank for for these signals. So if someone wants to play a song over MIDI from a file, like maybe there, there's a classical piece or something that you really, really like, and you think, I want to play that thing. So you've got this MIDI file with all these signals. Now, if it's a, if it's a piano piece, a piano concerto or something, then maybe they've assigned it to MIDI channel 1 which defaults to i think grand piano if i if my memory serves correctly uh and and 
no matter what soft synth you're using, as long as it has general MIDI compatibility, like general, it has a general MIDI uh, patch set, then it will have a piano sound. It might not be the same exact piano sound as someone else's computer or as the synthesizer that you had 20 years ago, but it'll be a piano sound. So at least your your piano concerto is being played on a virtual piano rather than, I don't know, a, a weird sound effect of some sort or, or a, a pair of cymbals, which could get loud and not very beautiful or really exciting. Um, and then if it's, you know, something else like 13 or 16 or somewhere in that range might be a string, some kind of a, a stringed instrument and so on. So those, that, that helps sort of make the MIDI communication a little bit more generic. And it was pretty heavily used, I think, back in the 90s when, when it was really common for websites to actually have just MIDI files on a web page. So you'd go there and you'd either press play, hopefully, or they would autoplay for you, which is really annoying. And it would just play these weird little sounds and it's all being generated from your computer. So that's a play MIDI. There's also a record MIDI, which yeah, does the, the opposite thing. It, it records MIDI signals that you're sending your computer uh, through a, a MIDI controller. Next up is ASEC dump. So ASEC dump is A-C-E-Q, so that's also sequencer dump. And it simply prints sequencer events received by from from also MIDI to to your terminal. So if I do ASEC dump right now, and then I start typing in, or not typing, but, but playing stuff in. Oh, it's looking at the wrong port. Sorry, hold on. Um, we're going to do uh, dash dash port equals, I think, uh, let's do 28. And now if I start playing my computer, or my, my MIDI input device, I see all the different MIDI events. So the, uh, the full command for that, if you have a MIDI device hooked up, is just asec dump dash dash port equals, and then that client that we saw in a connect or a a MIDI uh, record dash dash list. In my case, it's 28 and then colon zero. Um, I'm gonna have to look up to remember what the colon actually represents. Uh, a client can be specified by its number, its name, or a prefix of its name. A port is specified by its number. For port zero of a client, the colon zero part of the port specification can be omitted. Uh, interesting. So I still don't know what that actually represents. I mean, I mean I'm assuming it, it means, oh, it is the port. Sorry. So client colon port. That's, that's, that's what the port is talking about. Okay. So a sec dump dash dash port equals, and then I know that the client is 28. Let's see. If I hit return, it should error out because I didn't tell it the port. Oh, it didn't. It just, it just assumed. Okay. Cool. Oh, I see. For if the port is zero, then omit the colon zero. I thought it meant if the client was zero. I don't know why that would be. Okay, got it. So asec dump dash dash port equals 28 and or 28 colon zero. Uh, and then it tells me the source is 28. The event, if I press and hold, is note on. And it tells me that that's on channel zero by default. The data is note 76 at, at velocity 36. If I release it, then it tells me that the note is off same data. Uh, well, velocity was a little bit higher for the off, apparently. So there you go. That's um, that's a sec dump. I, I imagine that this is purely a troubleshooting tool. I cannot imagine what else you could do with that information. It doesn't actually say what 
what the intent is, but I, that's the only thing I can think of. So that's ASEC dump. There's also ASEC network, which sends sequencer data over a network. Now this is this is unmitigatedly cool. Uh, if you've never done this before, this is a very neat trick. So um, it, it requires a little bit of setup. So first first thing you have to do is just be on an internal network. Yet you need two machines, and you need to um, sort of let up all the firewalls. Firewalls got to be open. You just open them all up, just internally, just the the software firewall. So if you're running Firewall D, which I guess you might as well be. I mean, I, I don't know. I know there's that other one. What is it? U U F W, which I have nothing against. It's just I've got more experience with Firewall D. Um, you can just switch your zone to trusted. So that's uh, Firewall dash CMD dash dash change dash interface equals, and then whatever that interface is. So for my laptop here, my work laptop, that's W L P. Um, I don't know, let's make something... Oh, 61S0. And then dash dash zone equals trusted. So now you're in a trusted zone, so it lets up a bunch of the restrictions, lets basically all traffic in on your local network, and that's fine. And my Slackware machine is not running a soft firewall right now, so it's it doesn't need to be changed. Okay, as long as that is set up, then you can start ASECnet on... Let's do it from the broadcaster side to the recipient. Okay, so my Slackware is going to broadcast MIDI across the network to my la work laptop. Okay, so ASECnet with no arguments, you just you just start it. So now we've got a little MIDI sequencer server running on my Slackware machine, which is uh, IP address. Let's call it ten one one eight. Okay, actually let's call it ten one one fourteen because it is. Slackware 14.2, but whatever. Okay, so 10.1.1.14. That's running. Now, if I do an A connect dash dash list, I can see that it has created a port called, or a, a client called client 129. It is called a net client, and it, it, it identifies itself as uh, type 0 network. Cool. So that, that didn't exist in my A connect list before. Now it does that I've got a secnet running. So that's really all I need to do. No, that's not all I need to do. Now, what we want to do is change the MIDI interface, the the thing broadcast, you know, giving me MIDI signals, my my USB keyboard. I mean, I could do this with a MIDI file as well, but I happen to have my keyboard here, so I might as well use it. So I'm going to do a connect uh, 28 because remember in my a connect list, the keyboard is client 28 space 129. So I'm I'm running a virtual cable from my keyboard. The internal representation of my keyboard, which is hooked up in the physical world with the USB cable, I'm running a virtual connection from the keyboard to the network. So 28 to 129 hooks those up. Now those are connected. And I'm done with my broadcast side. Now I'll go over here to my work machine, and I it needs to be running ASECnet as well. So if I do ASECnet 101114 it is now hooking into the server running on my Slackware machine. It's kind of joining that that network. And I can verify that the same way. I can do a connect dash dash list, and it shows me that I now have a client 128 net client network. But the thing is that this is already connected to that network. So it's connected to 10118. So we know that basically when we, on the on the laptop side, when we see port 128... That's a 
portal, as it were, over to port 129 on my workstation. And remember, we've connected 28 to 129. Therefore, if I run asec dump dash dash port equals 128 on my laptop, then if I start playing or if I start uh, playing pressing keys on my MIDI keyboard, which is hooked up to my Slacker machine, I see the output of it on my work laptop. So if I had a software synth over on my work laptop that I wanted to control through Slackware and then through the network, I can do that through also MIDI. And that's a pretty cool little tool, I think. So that's ASEC.NET. All right, next up, and you know, I mean, unfortunately, I don't know how often people are going to use that particular function. Um, I had an occasion where I, I could have used it at this uh, sort of live performance thing. And unfortunately, the person I was performing with was on a Mac, and so all bets were off. We tried to get it to work with um, w with on the Mac, but I didn't want to mess up their computer by uh, installing a bunch of Linux sound things on, uh, you know, kind of sort of hodgepodge it together, because I didn't have confidence, sort of, really, of the ability to recover from that on a Mac. I didn't know what that process would look like if it messed anything up. So I didn't want to do anything too too drastic with that, but I was hoping to, to send signals over to this other person's computer, which was running some kind of video um, mixing software, and I was hoping that MIDI signals would be able to control or at least provide input for that software, but it was just... And, you know, even if I'd gotten it working, I think I would have had to create some kind of hacked-together bridge between the output of ASEC dump because I yeah I don't know how I would have gotten the MIDI over to their proprietary video mixer so it it didn't work so the the one time I did actually have a cool use case for that function I just couldn't I mean the 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 broadcasting side was was perfect but the recipient was not um was not compatible so it didn't work out for me so it's frustrating when you get something really, really cool working on your machine, and you can demonstrate it with two Linux machines, and then someone brings in something not open source, and it all falls apart. That's really annoying. But anyway, um, you know, I mean, at the same time, I mean, it's, it's collaboration. It's fun. It's it was it was creative and interesting. So that was, you know, as as a as a whole, it served its purpose. I don't mean to speak poorly of the people that I'm that I do projects with. I'm just saying I, I, I do sometimes often actually wish that a little bit more open source was involved in some in some things. Okay, so uh, the next one is IEC set, and that is a small utility to set or dump IEC 958 status bits of the specified sound card over the ALSA control API. I don't know anything about this uh, protocol or this, um, yeah, this interface. So I've never, never messed around with it. And frankly, I'm a little bit afraid to, uh, we could just, I guess I could dump, I could dump some data of, um, of the default sys default. Uh, so IE set dash capital D sys default. Uh, sys default is the name of some sound device on on your computer and my computer, uh, and it is as you can imagine the system default, whatever whatever that is set to. So it says that my the the sys default 
which I, I believe is just the the main you know the uh, sound card of my desktop. Uh, it, it says that it's in the consumer mode. Don't know what that means. It says that it is uh, the, the kind of data that it receives is audio. The rate 44.1 hertz. Well, 44.1 kilohertz, really 44100 hertz. Copyright is permitted. Emphasis none. Category general. Yeah. So, um, really, have no idea what any of this means at all. So, um, I, I I'm assuming it is reading firmware on the device on the on the sound card and giving information about it. Um, what that would be useful for, I do not know. But there it is. That's IE set. And then there's also the speaker test. So speaker test is um, it's a lot like a play, I guess, except it's something that's kind of built in. Uh, it generates a tone that tests some output device on your computer. So it's, it's quite useful, I, I, I imagine. And you can be pretty, um, you, you can get really sort of drill down pretty far into it. So for instance, one of the, the examples that they give in the man page, speaker dash test, dash D for uh, capital D for device surround 40 colon ICH five dash C six. So it's testing a surround sound device, uh, all six channels in that surround sound device, the dash C six indicates that it will test all six channels. So you can, you can test quite a few things with this, with this command. Um, I've never needed to do it myself, but you, you can do that. And it's also a noise maker. I mean, if you need some pink noise at some point, uh, you can speak your test dash T or dash dash test pink or a sine wave or I guess just a wave. Oh yeah, that plays a wave file. Um, yeah, and you can set the loops with dash dash in loops and then some number of, of times that you want the thing to loop uh, and so on. So that's, um, that's, a, that's a nice little troubleshooting utility that I, I can't use right now because I can't deactivate Pulse in order to, to, to test my speaker set while I'm using Pulse to record a podcast. Um, but there you go. I mean, it's really, it's not, as far as I know, it's no different really than doing a manual test with A-Play. And that's what I've always done. Um, when I need to do that, A-Play. Well, always. That's what I used to do. Nowadays, I, I really haven't had the need for that. But if I did need it, I would stop Pulse and do A-Play, I think. Well, now that I know about speaker test, I guess I would I would maybe try speaker test. Okay, so now we're kind of cycling back up to the top, and there's also bat is is the the one after a connect, um, and this is the basic audio tester. It's actually a lot like speaker test or just doing a manual a play, but it is designed to be kind of a complete test, a scriptable test routine so that you can have tests running without a whole lot of human interaction. So you can set the uh, PCM device that you want to test. You can tell it how many channels of that thing that you, uh, of the thing you want to test uh, and and at what sampling rate and all kinds of different things. So you can set all that and then press return and, and just let it do its tests. Then there's also loop, which uh, is a little bit like listening in on the monitoring device of Pulse Audio, if you've ever tried that. This is a useful trick, but again, it's it's kind of less useful nowadays that Pulse is the main interface that a lot of people use. But you can you can you can string together the output of an audio card to the input of the audio card 
thereby creating a loop. So you could have, did I say output to input? I, I, that's what I meant to say. So you could have um, the like the PCM playback, a uh, PCM playback device, which you get again from a play uh, dash dash list dash PCM, and and connect that to a PCM capture device of the same card or of different cards. It's it's up to you, and do whatever you need to do through there. I can imagine you could probably use this to, for instance, play a DRM audio file if those exist anymore, um, and capture it again through the through the capture channel without the DRM, obviously. So you'd be re-recording. I don't know if that would work, but that would be sort of an obvious use case that I could think of. I could imagine um, it'd be interesting to try. I just don't know if I'm assuming there are DRM audio files out there somewhere. I just don't know. Uh, where one would get one, or why one would want one. But there you go, that's um, that's also loop. And again, I can't really necessarily go through that as a, as a test or a proof of concept, um, but I, I do happen to know that it works. I did use it a long time ago for fun. Uh, and it's also loop dash capital C HW colon zero comma zero for your, your zeroth hardware device, uh, the zeroth Subdevice of your zeroth hardware device dash capital P to uh, demonstrate or to um, to do the playback and let's say that would be HW colon one comma zero and then you've got a loop created you've got a loop between the the capture device and the play playback device it's a pretty neat trick um, but you can do the same thing like I say through pulse you can just select the monitor device of whatever it is you want to record and then set something to record that that device. Next utility is, I, I would say, probably definitely for sound developers, which I'm, I have not really dabbled in that in any way. So I'll just read essentially what's in the man page, uh, which I don't actually have on Slackware. There's a, apparently a Debian man page out there. It certainly sounds interesting. Uh, it says current audio drivers basically hard code topology information in the driver sources which tightly couples the audio driver to the development board making its time uh, making it time consuming to modify a driver to work on a different device the driver is also tightly coupled to the DSP firmware version meaning extra care is needed to keep the driver and the firmware in sync the also topology project removes the need for rewriting or porting audio drivers to different devices or different firmwares Drivers have no hard-coded topology data, meaning a single driver can be used on different devices by updating the topology data from the from the file system. Firmware updates can be pushed without making without having to update the drivers. A new firmware just needs to include an updated topology file describing the update. I mean, obviously, this sounds like a really really smart way to go about things. It's just that I I happen to not know really anything about all that what has been just described. Um, apparently, if we go to ls-usr-share-alsa-slash-topology, you can see a sample configuration for this. And it looks a lot like the uh, audio, or what is it, a sound RC file, um, the, the, the sort of normal alsa config format. So it looks pretty familiar to me in terms of structure, it's just that I, I happen not to know really what it's talking about in any way. Um, I know that also TPLG when I when I 
invoke it, it just gives me a help message, uh, which has two different options, essentially. I mean, there's four, really. Help and verbose are two. Okay. So then there's compile for the compile file, and then the output to set the output file. Now you know as much as I know about ALSA TPLG. Next up is ALSA UCM. This is another one that seems like a, a developer-centric uh, application, to say the least. If you do an ALSA UCM, ALSA UCM uh, help, you get sort of a, a good overview, I guess, of the options available. There's dash dash card, dash dash interactive, dash dash batch, and so on. Uh, some available commands, like subcommands. So there's open, which opens a card name. List cards, list of available cards. So if we do that, also UCM list cards. There's no dashes there, it's just list cards. Then it, it lists uh, eight cards, zero, daisy, one, two, s, that's a daisy internal card, google, nyan, nyan internal card, p-a-z-0-0, zero, zero, panda board, panda board, es, and so on. Okay, well, panda boards, I more or less know what that is, and I know that they're not installed in my computer, so obviously this is talking about some kind of outboard device that presumably I am setting up some kind of use case for those cards. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to come with a man page on my system, but if I look at the man page online, it says that also use case manager um, says it complex sound cards setting up uh, on complex sound cards, setting up audio routes is not trivial and mixer settings can conflict one with one another, preventing the audio card to work at all. The also use case manager is a mechanism for controlling complex audio hardware, establishing a relationship between hardware configurations and e and meaningful use cases that the end user can relate with. But it it does it seems to be very specific to a a subset of all possible cards. So I'm not a hundred percent sure really what this would do for a modern you know a typical user, and. I guess, like I keep saying, I don't know how many people would use this now anyway, because Pulse would, Pulse kind of, that's the name of the game for Pulse. It is, it, it gives human names and human use cases to a lot of the things that also, or A play dash L simply delivers to you as card zero, card one, sub device one, and so on. So, not sure. I, I mean, I, I feel like also use case manager would have been useful had I known about it before Pulse hit Slackware, and then I would have maybe tried to use it as something to collect a bunch of settings in a, a scriptable format to you know to sort of switch my computer into a specific mode. Like okay, well I'm going to start. I'm going to compose some music now, so I will use also use case manager to. Flip everything over into into a mode that that suits music composition, um, and I mean that's the that's the weakness of Alsa and always has been. I mean that's kind of why Pulse has developed. When when you're doing one thing with your sound card, a lot of times that's the only thing that you can do with your sound card. Now I never really noticed that myself so much because usually when I was composing music, that's what I was doing. I was composing music. I was messing around on keyboards and stuff and soft synths, and I wasn't gonna. I didn't open up um, a browser to listen to music. I, I was generating music from from soft synths and so on. So the collision there, I didn't typically notice. But, I mean, 
it would happen sometimes. I'd be working on some something, and then I'd think, oh, I need a, a sample of something. And I know that freesounds.org has uh, the sample that I need. So let me go over there, or, or rather, I don't know that it has the sound that I need, but I, I imagine it has the sound that I want. So I'll go over there, I'll open up a browser really quick, and look on the site. And it, Firefox would refuse to play sound, because also, you know, my, my sound card was occupied, otherwise occupied, by my music-making applications. And and so it, it all got very sort of messy and inconvenient and didn't really feel like um, a modern sort of sound, computer sound experience. And ever since Pulse has been around, it, it, it solved that problem. I did have some kind of little application where I would switch some things around. So if I was doing music and I needed to do something else, I, I, I forget what it actually does. I have it documented somewhere. But it, it switched things over so I could I could hear what I wanted to hear or something like that. I forget exactly what it was. But there, there were some workarounds sometimes. Um, kind of depends, though, uh, especially back when this was still a problem. A lot of sites were still using Flash to play media through a browser, which, I mean, that's not Alsa's fault. Uh, I'll admit that. But, um, yeah, there, there were minor inconveniences that Pulse definitely, definitely solves. Okay, and then I think last but not least is Alsa Mixer. Oh, no, actually, I forgot about A Mixer. Okay, so A Mixer is the a, a window into Alsa Mixer, I guess, so in a way, uh, but you can control it non-interactively. So it's kind of a simple one, so I'll just I'll go with it first. A Mixer... First, in order to use it, you'd want to do that a play dash l command again, because you need to you need to remember the devices that you want to control. So from a play dash l, I can see that I have that card zero. That's the um, the normal the, the the card of my in the the actual desktop. So card zero, and that's good enough to go on right there. So that's dash c zero. But the weird thing about, or not the weird thing, but one thing about also Mixer is that it wants to, you know, it, it sees the cards, but then it also sees all the different attributes of that card, like all the different components of that card. So you can get that information with a Mixer dash C zero. So we're having it, we're pointing it to the card, and then we're just going to put uh, controls. That's the sort of the sub command controls, and that lists all the different parts of that sound card that I can control with a mixer things like um name equals front head headphone jack front mic jack line jack line out clfe jack line out front jack line out side jack and so on and it goes on goes on like that for just ages well for a screenful um so if we wanted to do if we wanted to set something to 80 percent let's do um a mixer dash c zero again and this time, instead of controls, we're going to use the keyword set, S-E-T. And then we need to give it a name of the device, or the, the, um, the name of what we want to set on the, car, on the sound card. Now, you might think that that would just be the, the name, right? The, the, the thing in the quotes. Well, for whatever reason, it's not. It, it sort of uses these... Um, it, 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 it uses the different... Like different words as names, and I don't I don't know why they did it this way. It's quite, I I find it confusing, but um, you can do a mixer dash c zero and then set, and then uh, I'll do the word line because I see that there are a bunch of things with the keyword line 
in the at the front of it. So line and then comma zero space eighty percent for instance to set the adjust to set the the sound device down to eighty percent. And it says capabilities, P volume, P switch, playback channels, front left, front right, um, front left, playback 25, 81%, and front uh, 81%. So that, that has set the, the line output to 80%. You could also do, for instance, that same command with front, and then, and then that would change anything labeled as a, a front control, uh, front interface would be adjusted accordingly. A lot of a mixer makes a lot more sense with a little bit of context, and that context can be provided from Al also mixer. Also mixer's gotten a little bit weird, I guess, because Pulse now exists, or rather Pavu Control, which I hate that name, um, but Pulse Audio Volume Control is kind of the interface that I think is a lot sort of easier to understand to adjust and so on. But also mixer still exists, and you can still mess around with it. And I remember for a while, after, shortly after Pulse was around, well, let's not talk about what was going on right when Pulse was was released. It was it was kind of painful at, during that transition period. But even after that transition had gotten smoothed out, I do remember there was for some for some reason there were some laptops that you'd encounter every now and again that would be again for some reason muted by default for no good reason. It was just the for you know when you installed Linux. The, the sound card went into a default mode of muted. And it was really annoying. And I remember that, try as you might, you just couldn't get the thing to turn on unless you went into also mixer or a mixer and and told it to unmute that device, that card. And that was, um, I remember installing also, you know, the also utils package exclusively for that, for that make it better, you know, fix. Like, unmute my device, please. It was a very strange, strange thing. I mean, I don't blame Pulse or Alsa for that. I just, I just remember that happening, and I and I assume it's something in the firmware. Okay, so um, Alsa Mixer is a GUI, well, a TUI. So it's a uh, in curses terminal-based user interface for the volume controls on your computer. Really, really handy if you're using a very lightweight distribution of Linux and you don't want to ha have things like a a panel, like a, a system tray or whatever, where you have volume controls, you can do all of that through. Well, you can. You've seen you can already do it with a mixer, but you can also do it with a little bit of a GUI for with also mixer. Now on Slackware, if I type in also also mixer, it tells me that it can't open the mixer because of an invalid argument. If I do it with sudo also mixer, it opens up uh, the Pulse Audio. Or the yeah the pulse audio device as it were with it, uh, that also sees and it gives you a grand total of one volume control well two one for playback one for capture it's not hugely useful but if you just kind of tell it what you want a little bit more uh, then you can get more information so I'm just gonna do also mixer no pseudo required for that dash c zero again that's that first initial card on my system. Then it gives me all the different tracks that are or, or channels available on on that card, and hitting the tab key cycles me through playback, capture, and all, uh, and then just using the arrow keys, I can change from one channel to the other. Up arrows, down arrow, I can adjust the inputs or the the volume of that device. M as in mute, I can mute a device. 
or unmute a device. And all in all, I'd say, and oh, one confusing thing possibly about the mixer is that it, it sometimes goes off your terminal screen. Uh, you'll see arrows down the side, little tiny arrows down the side of your terminal if your terminal is a modern thing that renders such characters you'll you'll see arrows otherwise you might just if you just keep scrolling you'll eventually hit more channels you'll also see that there are controls like f6 uh selects different sound cards so once once i've gotten it to open up and not just give me the pulse audio default view of everything's unified then i can i can press f6 and scroll down to a different card so for instance here's uh, c1 is the nvidia one c2 is my plantronics it even sees my USB device, the the keyboard. It doesn't, you know, there's no playback or anything like that, so it doesn't doesn't show me any controls for it, but it sees it. Uh, and then for the Planetronics, there's a speaker control and a mic control and a capture control and so on. Escape exits the mixer. Um, the the mixer, I think, is one of the greatest tools to sort of get a feel for what aligns with what on your computer. So if you've got a speaker plugged into your computer you have no idea which is that your front left audio is it your right front rear line is what what is it you don't know open up also a mixer to that card start messing around with the volume when you hear something change then you you'd have to play you know play something over the speaker when you hear something change then you know that that's that's the also name of that device you kind of have a feeling for okay so that's that's what also calls it that's where it lines up the, the on the port of the computer, and you can kind of start to know a little bit more about how your computer sees the physical devices that you hook into it, which can be mystifying sometimes. Sometimes you don't, you know, you know that you're plugging a device into one of the six audio ports on the back of your computer, but you have no idea what any of them mean. Um, kind of sitting down with this, really, all of the also utils, and and just messing around with it and seeing. What also what also calls it and uh, what what affects it and how those things affect it. It's a pretty useful trick. And the more you know, you do that a couple of times, and then you you start to really get a feel for your own computer, which is important and it, it helps because there's nothing more frustrating than setting up a, a computer for a, a video chat or something or or you know a, a VoIP call or recording or doing music or whatever you're doing and and the sound device doesn't appear to be working and you can't figure out why you don't know what it's called everything it also looks foreign you don't know why it's got it's listing this device four times and calling everything a sub device you know all those these confusing sort of outputs if you sit down with it and really look at it and and kind of mess around with those devices it it makes a lot more sense and then you don't have to panic the next time sound appears not to be working. I'd say nine times out of ten, the reason the sound isn't working is because you've forgotten to set it in some application somewhere. And that's that can be a frustrating thing because we we, we, we fire up a, an application and we say, okay, well, this application is obviously something that I would want to use with my USB headset. Like, that's obvious. And and, and to, to us, it might be obvious that I wouldn't want to use my the, the USB headset that I consider my microphone, I would never want to use that as a set of headphones. Like, why would I ever want to do that? That's not what, I, it's really just a microphone for me. But to the computer, it's both. It's a, a, it's a speaker set for my ears and 
a microphone for my mouth. So it's both an input and an output device. And it's frustrating if you start a, 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 you know, a mumble server, or a mumble client rather, to talk to your friends online and you try to talk and they're not hearing you and you think, well, why aren't they hearing me? Obviously mumble should be using this headset. And you just have to remember, well, mumble doesn't know what you want to do and your computer doesn't know what you want to do. So you, you sometimes have to set the input device at the OS level and, and then also keep in mind that mumble probably sees because your OS sees the the fake input as well right I mean it, it sees the not fake but like the you know maybe a microphone that you don't want to use or, or isn't plugged in right now maybe it sees that so you have to set it on the computer level on the OS level in your in your mixing application of choice which is probably P, P, Pavu control pulse audio volume control sound settings whatever um, but then uh, very frequently you you have to set it in that application as well because the application, again, doesn't really know what you want it to use. And so if you want to hear the voices out of a speaker and only use the input of the microphone of that of that device, then you need to tell it those th- those things. So it is it's often a, a, a get something that gets set in two places. And that's not unlike any other OS I've ever used personally. A lot of times you have to set a thing on the OS level and then in the application level. It's just that sometimes OSs do things differently and, and some of them just assume, well, if they've plugged in a USB device, then surely that's what they want to have as the default. And sometimes that's true and then other times it's not. And that, that catches me all the time with USB especially because I do have this USB mic that I use for this podcast. It happens to have earphones on that I never use as your earphones. I I, when I'm editing, well, when I do a little bit of editing of this podcast, I just do the speakers. I, I have it over the speakers. And when I'm listening to music, I'd never want it through these these headphones. It's, they're not very good. Um, I, I have a good set of heads, a good headset for that. So yeah, it's it's one of those things where the OS quite reasonably assumes that it, when I plug in a USB device, I've done that intentionally. I've added an audio device to it. Therefore, that's probably what I want to have set as the default. And it would be 100% correct if we were talking about microphones. But the fact that it's got a speaker is just something that I I couldn't, you know, it just happens to have speakers. So there's no way for it to know. And there's no reason to panic when something sound-related doesn't work. You just have to sit back, know your know your computer preferably, and then know where to set those um, different those different controls or to manipulate those different controls. And... Strange that I'm talking about that right now because none of these also utils really are the place for that anymore. Um, I mean, it might be if you've got a distribution that doesn't use Pulse Audio, then it may well be the right place to do that. Also, Mixer could be totally the right place, but more than likely, Pulse Audio is the is the interface that you're meant to use in order to control your sound settings. And honestly, it really is the better choice. It's a, a very nice, flexible multi-input sound server and that's that's what you want you don't want your sound to be locked up by one process only you know only to find that running an app another application that once that happens to you want to use sound can no longer do it because you because you accidentally forgot that you had a firefox window open to something that thinks it's it needs to play sound or that it might need to play sound whatever the situation pulse avoids all of that so it's it's quite nice
Either way, though, that's also utils. There's some really, really useful and really, really cool little tools in there. I don't know how often I'm going to use all of them anymore, but it, it, it is a really satisfying experience to do that. Also, SecNet, it's very nice to be able to see the sound card information, really important things there. So get familiar with also utils. Use it when you need to. No, use it before you need to. Let me put it that way. Use this... Use at least A play and A record to, to understand what's going on in your computer with sound before you get to a point where you need to fix something sound related. Trust me, prepare for that so that you don't panic the next time something seems to be wrong with your Linux audio. It's kind of, I'm, I'm definitely time, I'm definitely keen to put that one to bed. That, that, the myth that sound on Linux is difficult or whatever. I'm ready for that one to go away. So let's get familiar with Ulsa Utils, get familiar with Pulse Audio in the future when I cover that on this show. Thanks for listening to the show, and I'll talk to you next time. Listening to the GNU World Order Og Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Ogcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. this mirror at 133, the precise moment in time when the gods are unable to resist my thrust into their domain. But once I'm in, I'm in. There's nothing they can do.